Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The New York Studio School welcomes artists to join an upcoming five-day virtual painting marathon with their dean and founder of the legendary Studio School Marathons, artist Graham Nixon. Taking place this November from Thursday, November 10th through Monday, November 14th, the Studio School's legendary marathons present a wide range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. The virtual format enables you to join in real time from your own studio anywhere in the world. Expansive and experimental, marathons equip artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the world's best acrylic paints and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints. You can get their supplies in art stores everywhere or at goldenpaints.com. You know what keeps me going? Making work in the studio, podcasting with artists, teaching, being a dad, and everything else going on? Coffee. Specifically, the amazing coffee from Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee based out of Seattle, and the cool thing is, you can have it delivered straight to your door. Use the code ALFREDSTUDIO at checkout and get 20% off your order. They even have subscription services where they deliver different origin beans each week, every two weeks, every month, however often you want your coffee to arrive. I have it and it's amazing. I love the new blends each time I get a delivery and they're always really good. Check them out at fulcrumcoffee.com. I've been overwhelmed with the support for Why I Make Art, the Sound of Vision podcast book out on Atelier Editions. The messages from people who are into the book is really great. If you have a copy, please leave a rating and review on Amazon or wherever you ordered it from. It goes a long way at getting the book on the radar of other fans of art who might appreciate the stories of all the amazing artists involved. And if you don't have it, consider picking it up. You can get it via the Sound and Vision website page about the book. I hope it gives you some inspiration in your studio. Amy Pleasant received a BFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and an MFA from the Tyler School of Art at Temple. Amy was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship in 2018, the South Arts Prize for the State of Alabama, the Joan Mitchell Foundation Grant, the Mary Hambidge Distinguished Artist Award, the Cultural Alliance of Birmingham Fellowship, and the Alabama State Council of the Arts Individual Artist Fellowship. She's held solo exhibitions at Hunter Museum of American Art in Tennessee, Brackett Creek Editions in New York City, Geary Contemporary in New York City, Laney Contemporary in Savannah, Georgia, Institute 193 in Lexington, Kentucky, Jeff Bailey Gallery in Hudson, New York, White Space Gallery in Atlanta, and Augusta University in Columbus, Georgia. She's had shows at the Indianapolis Museum of Contemporary Art, the Birmingham Museum of Art, the Atlanta Contemporary Auburn University School of Liberal Arts, Rhodes College in Tennessee, Candyland in Sweden, and the University of Alabama at Birmingham, amongst others. She's been included in group exhibitions, including the Knoxville Museum of Art, 
the Adams and Ullman, the Montgomery Museum of Fine Arts, Weatherspoon Museum of Art, the Hunter Museum of American Art, the Columbus Museum of Art, the National Museum of Women in the Arts, the Mobile Museum of Art, and the U.S. Embassy in Prague and the Czech Republic, just to name a few. Her work has been reviewed in publications such as World Sculpture News Sculpture, the Brooklyn Rail Art in America Art Forum, Art Papers, Bad at Sports, and Burn Away. Her first monograph, The Messenger's Mouth Was Heavy, was released in 2019, co-published by Institute 193 and Frank. Amy also co-founded the curatorial initiative, The Fuel and Lumber Company with artist Pete Schulte in 2013. Amy and I spoke about Alabama, Chicago, the Grand Old Opry, affordable spaces, mixtapes, art heroes, David Bowie, working in drawings, vinyl, and much more. Here's our conversation. Uh, where are you now? In my studio in Birmingham, Alabama. In Birmingham. Yeah. Born yeah. and raised, right? Born and raised. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> well, I, you know, I've only been through Birmingham. I never really stopped. See, the word is through. That's what through. everybody says. I've right, been right. through because you were going to the beach, weren't you? No, I was on tour with a band. Oh, of course. Yeah. We, did you, so you never played Birmingham? No, we never had a gig. I maybe just, I mean, we were an indie band, so we didn't really. Yeah. I, I guess we just didn't know anyone in Alabama. We played maybe in there Georgia. Was right. Of course. Yeah. Athens, the guy Atlanta. who, yeah, the guy who played in our band on our second record, he played trombone, trumpet, and pedal steel, uh, was from Dahlonega, Georgia. So we passed uh, by there, which was kind of in the sticks, I think. It was, seemed a little okay. remote. But uh, yeah, we played, we didn't play in Alabama. Well, it's too bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the South is fun to play. I'm People sure. People were up for it. You know? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was it like? How did your parents end up in Birmingham? What's my dad got a job. So the story is my dad is an engineer. And, um, so my parents are from Tennessee. My mm -hmm. dad grew up in Chattanooga. My mom grew up nice. in Knoxville. They ended up meeting in college, singing in the choir. So music, we've How already wholesome. been talking about music. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they traveled together and ended up getting married. And then my dad got a job in Jersey city and then he got a Whoa. job in Birmingham. So then they moved here. And I think about after being here for a year, my brother was born and then I came along three and a half years later. Yeah. Nice. They're still Civil here. engineering, mechanical, uh, uh, chemical, mm -hmm. chemical. Wow. What chemical. was in Jersey city? A job, a plant. Was yeah. it a brand we know or anything? Was it like, yeah, I'm trying to remember that. I, I should know the answer to that question, but <laughs> that, I mean, it makes sense. Jersey yeah. city feels like a place where chemicals could be used. Yeah, well, it was steel pipe. He his whole career was with U.S. pipe. Oh, Birmingham. really? Yeah. So mm -hmm. steel, tangentially steel related. Mm -hmm. I'm from yes. the steel city. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. So I have nothing really to do with steel except for the Steelers. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and the old days of 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 you know way back with like talking about steel mills and stuff. Right. But um, so and your was your mother in this it was what did she do 
So my mom uh, was in real estate, but um, she really started working after my brother and I were a little older. So um, I'm trying to remember what grade I was in. I remember her studying for her real estate test vividly in her bedroom on the floor with her big open books and asking for quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, But um, my dad uh, was also an artist, so he never got to do it for a living, but um, music was, so my family's kind of, it's kind of split in half, yet half people in music and half in visual arts, which is really interesting. That's like this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Really is sound amazing. Um, yeah. What kind of my music? brother is a musician and grew up playing in bands, and nice. then kind of got tired of the you know the travel scene, the band scene, and so but he wanted to stay in music, so yeah. he's in music management, and so oh, wow. yeah, he manages bands now. That's what he does. And then, like I said, my parents met singing, um, and then they've been singing with the the Alabama, uh, the orchestra here, the symphony and, um, which is a really special thing. And so we always had music in the house and we always had art in the house. So that was really normal for me. So you didn't have a choice. You had to do Yeah, this. I didn't, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> and honestly, I never wanted to do anything else. And so it was like in the first grade and my teacher was like, you know, I think you should get her some art lessons. I think she's, I think she likes this. So, yeah. So I started taking, you know, after school at this woman's house. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I never stopped. I never wanted to do anything else. You were all in. I was all in. (laughs) I was all in. And I would imagine your parents were kind of, or at least your father was probably excited about you following that or being very interested in something that, I mean, what was his... What was his side painting hustle? What did he do? So or was he, he a mostly, mostly a painter, um, but mm. he was also an amazing drawer. And, you know, and he has a real special gift with watercolor. Like I've never oh, seen wow. anybody use watercolor like that. And I, watercolor is very difficult. I, I feel like it's very difficult. Like you really have to have a, you have, a, have to have a certain touch with it Definitely. and really kind of understand the paper and the layering, I think is one of the most difficult things. And, um, but he, I mean, he had a studio. So like our, my mom always like, um, you know, got frustrated because she didn't ever have a garage. So we had a garage that he turned <laughs> into a studio. That's cool. Um, and I just remember, and he used to smoke a pipe. He doesn't smoke anymore, but he smoked a pipe. And I just remember as a kid, like he would walk through the house cause he had to work, he worked and he worked really hard and he didn't have a lot of time for making art, but I remember he'd go through the house and remember it'd be dark outside. And then I would see him disappear into the garage and it would be illuminated. And there were a couple of windows and I could see him and they're working. Did he work but, the music? Um, uh, oh yeah. I, I, yes. Yes. And they listened to a lot of classical music. So I brought up with a lot of classical music and oh, um, they were classical fans. Yeah. 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 Not like blue. I don't know. Alabama. I just think it's like, you know, bluegrass or Western well, swing or something. <laughs> yeah. We never grew up listening to country music, but I mean, music just in general um, was a part of life, like all yeah. kinds of music. Yeah. So my grandma, okay. actually my grandmother, my mom's mom, Ruby Lentz, uh, she actually sang with Roy Yakeuf on the radio. And oh, so, really? yeah, yeah. And on WROL, that radio station. And it was, wow. and he, yeah, it's a pretty crazy story because I didn't even know it until I was much older. But he asked her to go to the Grand Ole Opry with him. And her mother had died when she was young and her father told her no. 
So that was kind of the end of that. And I think she was kind of heartbroken about that, but I can imagine. Yeah. And I was like, I was, you know, I'm trying to remember how old I was when I first saw her music book. It was only, I don't know, maybe about nine years ago or 10 years ago. And uh, my husband, who is a massive music fan, they were just chatting about it one day. And she said, well, do you want to see my book? And she goes and she gets this old like little binder because that was the only way that she could learn all the lyrics. It was just listening to the songs on the radio and she would write them all down on notebook paper in this little spiral bound book and she, they're looking at it and I walked in the room I was like oh my god what is this I was like she, she pulled it out for Pete before we were even married I was like <laughs> how come I have never seen this book but anyway so it was kind of a precious thing so anyway um yeah so music runs deep yeah that's really cool I mean what's bigger than the Grand Old Opry at that point I know and she didn't get to do that but she did tell the story though that my grandfather they went to go see him play live later and talk to him after the show and he said well Ruby it's a hard life and she always told that story because I think in a way it made her feel better about not doing that and you know and she adored my grandfather and they had a family and she had a great life. So yeah, you never know. Maybe, or maybe if she went into music, she would, uh, something crazy, you know what I mean? Everything happens. For yeah, reason, I guess, exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, that's cool that it's, I mean, you've got the, the path of like music and art yeah. directly in the family. And, yeah. uh, you, it sounds like your dad, I just pictured, you know, those, films of like those old Disney artists who would like paint how to paint a tree or something. Yeah. There's all these dudes with pipes like working oh. on the easel. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's totally what yeah. I picture. Oh my gosh, I didn't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Very fifties stuff. Yeah. Like the image that pops in the head with like a yeah. pipe and a painter. Yeah. And, like a guy who's, you know, wearing a button down, got the pipe, hitting the studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And it's so my great uncle was an artist. He lived in Jersey city. And so my dad used to go up all the time and they would go into the city. They would go see shows. And he came home with the Picasso retrospective book that from moment, I think it was like 1982 or 882, I think. Yeah. And he brought that book home. That was like this thick. And I remember being obsessed with it. And, oh, wow. um, and I remember being young enough where I must've been like 10, I guess I was 10 cause I was born in 72, but I would hide with that book. Cause there's a couple of really dirty drawings in the front too. <laughs> it was just like, I thought, Oh my God, I'm not supposed to look at this one, but I was so obsessed with it. And then I just started kind of recreating some of the drawings and some of the paintings. And he gave me this big piece of canvas and oil paints. And so it kind of, you know, I never really thought that that was not normal. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and then when my seems... brother moved out of the house um, for a surprise, they turned his room into an art studio. And so they had me for my, it was for my birthday and they had me a drafting table and a little bench and they left this old carpet that was already kind of stained up anyway. So I could get paint on nice. <laughs> and just pin stuff up on the wall. So I feel like I kind of really at a young age had already, they kind of just, there was just this freedom and the space to have the space to do stuff. Right. Who needs yeah. grad school? You got it right there. Oh, God, no, no. <laughs> I needed grad school. My grad school experience yeah. was really important, but, but I was, yeah. you know, I was obsessed with the artists of Chicago too. So that's the only school I wanted to go to. And so how my did you dad find was out like, about it though? 
I'm like, trying what to was, remember why. What was the first thing I heard about it? Was it like the museum being right across the street lore? Maybe, maybe. I, I can't even tell you how old I was when I first kind of learned about the school. Yeah. But um, my dad was like, oh, well, then maybe you should do the early summer college program. So I was right, like, oh, right. I'm into that, you know? So I was, I guess I was a junior in high school. And so I did the, um, the early college program, which totally concreted my plans. Yeah. I mean, I met so many awesome people who ended up going to at the same time and just living in the city. I mean, I was 17 when I started there. So that means I was 16 junior. I was 16 and just That's exciting. It was so fun. And yeah, it was awesome. Was there so, the Southern Northern culture shock at all? I don't remember I mean, having that. It's different vibe, right? Well, weather alone. Oh, yeah. oh, Chicago oh, weather. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> that, brutal. That delicate oh, icy breeze off the lake. I know. Well, I remember us carrying canvases across Columbus Bridge and just Oh my the god, they're like sails. Oh, they were like sails. And then of course yeah. you rack your stretchers and it, I mean it was just it was ridiculous. And I remember taking wet paintings on the L and you know, dirty glances from people I keep that pain away from me. <laughs> uh those are yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I I had my best friend in grad school, um, he was he went to undergrad he's from san diego so oh. it was a real it was a real kind of like weather shock you know because like connecticut is pretty different than southern california oh, and yeah. like he went through that seasonal kind of like bumming out after the the first bit of like oh snow fun you know and then after right. that it was just like oh my god this is long oh my gosh i know and you know it's a, but like you don't own really good winter clothes like that's you know, true when you grow up here you just you don't really have you don't, you don't have the it. stuff yeah you don't need it <laughs> you don't need it you don't and need we, shovels I mean, we, yeah. we were raised calling a sock hat a toboggan that's what we called it and then oh i was grown before somebody said a toboggan is a sled like no, it's not it's a hat you wear in winter <laughs> <laughs> you got your cold weather terms mixed up exactly oh <laughs> but you that's great i mean that early dip into you know art school really i would imagine like primes it so when you get there you're ready to go I guess I was ready to go. Yeah. What were you making in, at the art institute? Paintings, paintings and drawings, trying to figure out, I guess, trying to figure out what I wanted my paintings to be, you know? Was it going through like, you know, your still lives and beginning stuff or were you, did you have like. I, I get, I mean, I guess like all the early students, I mean, you're, you're taking the studio classes and um, I did do figure painting classes. And, you know, the thing that I, you know, I referred to a lot still is Susanna coffee is working with Susanna. Oh, yeah. She was amazing and um, so special to me. Um, and, you know, she really introduced that first idea of, you know, how do, how do you want to paint the figure? How do you want to approach the figure? And it, right. it, so, um, you know, she did this one class that was called um, um, extended issues of the figure. And one of the assignments was we had to make a painting um, 
that gave the sense of a figure without a figure being in the painting, which, you know, as you know, a young kid, I was like, oh, this is like, this is radical. It made me think totally differently about how I would make a painting of a person without a person. Yeah. And so things like that and like thinking about how an article of clothing or a shadow on the floor or um, even just like a light source, things like that could, you know, be this whole other idea of how to approach, you know, a painting of a figure. Right. Yeah. That's like, sounds kind of mind blowing. When you, um, were you also, because of your dual track, when you were in Chicago, such a great music town. Were you, oh, yeah. were you doing music stuff at all? Were you checking it out? <laughs> I would have loved to have checked more out, but I was so, I was so young and I looked so young. I will never forget being just turned away time and time again <laughs> at the door to not go in. And I, I wanted to see Taj Mahal play so bad. Oh, and wow. one yeah. of our places that we lived was a loft down on South Wabash. So it was pretty close to Buddy Guy Legends and he was playing there that night. And I was, I was just so hoping they were going to let me in. No. And my roommates would get in, but I wouldn't, you know. Oh, that's a bummer. But so there's some bummer. good all ages places. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 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 For sure. Was there, so you're a blues person. Is that what yeah, you were into? I like blues? Yeah. Yeah. And you like um, I remember going to Sweet stuff? Alice. Oh uh, yeah. Remember, nice. you remember Sweet Alice? Well, I know I just the name, but I have yeah. never been. What yeah. what's tell me? I just about remember it. it was a really cool bar in a corner. And, yeah, uh, I think by the time I started doing playing music and doing Chicago, like my friends were in bands there. It was kind of like the indie rock scene of you know, kind of like uh, like electrical audio and you know the empty bottle and like oh the empty like, bottle right? yeah I mean Shubas and rainbow room and stuff like that those were the right. places that because i had friends who were there who were musicians so when i'd go we just kind of hang out where they went you know right yeah, but we yeah the blues by, thing uh, is cool like i love blues yeah. and uh but when i think when i was going to chicago i just was so preoccupied with the writing and with recording or playing out and with friends and stuff that i didn't really get to tap into all those great blues venues i know and, same here I was playing a lot of pool. Nice. <laughs> we would go play pool a lot. I love pool. Me <laughs> too. It was fun to go learn how to play pool with old old guys hanging out in bars. <laughs> yeah. There's so many great, just like divey bars everywhere mm -hmm. in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and you were making tons of work, I guess. Did yeah. it, did you, yeah. like when you're about ready to graduate with your BFA. I mean, did you, do you have like a thesis show or are you like, does it culminate to something? Yeah, there was, there was a big exhibition at the end. And, um, and I had two paintings in that show one and they were, one of them was probably the biggest painting I'd made at that point. And I don't remember exactly how big it was, but um, it was my grandfather had died. My dad's dad had died in my last year of school. And I ended up doing this painting of, um, actually a, a corpse in a coffin at the very frontal part of the canvas and then the sea of people and the perspective is like up above and there's only one figure in the painting that's actually looking out and it's like a little boy that's standing close to the casket and I remember that was a really intense painting for me to make but it was um yeah, in a lot of ways heavy. yeah in a lot of ways I can kind of see signs of what I'm making now in that painting and then the second painting was a self-portrait actually that um in, in a seated position 
holding all my brushes. And, uh, and I remember Susanna was like so excited about that painting. And I remember they put it in the, the SAIC catalog at that end of the year, you know, to kind of show prospective nice. students work that was made. And I was like, Oh my God, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But it was did a big show. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, that, that just made me think of, you know, thinking about Chicago in that sense, did you feel like the, was there the legacy of like Harry who and like the Chicago vibe? Was it heavy there or was it just kind of not really that? I don't remember that being heavy when I was okay. there. No. Mm -mm. Cause I think people outside of it or artists who like older artists are from there. Cause I had a couple of professors who, you know, studied at the art Institute back in the day. Like, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're really into the Harry who thing. And it's such an identity of early Chicago of, of right. that kind of like painting. Right. I didn't know if that was something that was institutionalized at all. I, I know a couple of those guys, I think taught at the school, like Ray Yoshida, didn't he teach at the mm -hmm, artist? He did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to tap into their style or anything. Right. Right. And well, I went abroad that... too. So I went to Florence, Italy oh, nice. for a chunk of time, which was also kind of Mind really blog. changing. Yeah. 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 So that was great. And then when I got back my senior year, I was doing a lot of independent studies and stuff because we had found these really cheap apartments that had um, an attic space upstairs from it that they only wanted 50 extra dollars for. And nice. so my best friend, Malora Kin, and I were just like, oh, this is great. So we had apartments across the hall and we had these studios across the hall and they were just raw spaces. And yeah, just got to paint kind of do our own thing. And so it was cool. That's great. Now, did you take time in between undergrad and grad? I did. I did. I really did not want to go into grad school right away. And I really wanted to go to grad school. And I was pretty, I mean, I was determined to do that, but I wanted to take three years off. And I don't know why it, would, it was three years, <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to take three years and I'm just going to figure out what I want to make and um, make work by myself and see what happens. In Chicago? So, no, 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 no. So, so this is another life ago. So I got married really young. Somebody I met while I was in Chicago, we got married and then went back to Birmingham thinking, mm -hmm. oh, this is good temporary place. Get a cheap studio until yeah. grad school. So, um, so I was here and, you know, I was trying to find a studio that I could afford because, and there's tons of abandoned buildings at the time in Birmingham, but nobody willing to kind of rent it to you. And a lot of times it was just because liability, it, liability issues. They don't want people in the buildings. They'd rather them sit empty. Right. Um, but we have this gorgeous um, historic Alabama theater. That is another great music venue in town. And um, I had a very good friend that worked there. And he was like, you know, I think we have some empty space. He'll probably let you use it if you want to come down and see. Whoa, so nice. I go down and uh, the director of the theater, they, they show me this like raw 2,500 square foot third Whoa. floor of the Alabama theater in the heart of downtown Birmingham. And it's got like six 10 foot windows and then the rest is just walls and he was like do you think this will do <laughs> i was like oh my god yeah i think this will do oh and god. he said well do you think you could get us 35 dollars a month just to cover the what? light bill 35 dollars a month to cover the light bill five a month 35 and i was like yeah i can, I can do that thanks you know oh they gave god. me a key and and i was in there for a very long time and um in fact until i went to grad school and then after and you know, 
yeah. the story goes on. But like, and then when they put air conditioning in, they raised it to fifty dollars a month. Oh uh, well, it had to happen eventually, I guess. Man, <laughs> but the happen. the case for provincial towns with being an artist, I mean, the ridiculous. space you can't get that space in like other cities, you know. No. You can't. And so that was like, you know, I never planned to live in Birmingham again. I mean, when I moved to go to the Art Institute, that was it. You know, I, I didn't think you escaped. I escaped and I didn't think that I could really live a life as an artist in Birmingham. And it's it's actually shown me that you don't always you don't always know how something's going to play out. So. Right. Well, so you spent the three years. Was it three? And then you went to grad school. Mm-hmm. Wow. You and then I went to guys. Tyler. I did. Now, what was the draw of Tyler? I don't know why. Um, Because it had such a, you know, just a great program. And, you know, just kind of reaching out and saying, you know, where do you think would be a good fit for me? And Tyler was uh, one of the top schools. And so, of course, Stanley Whitney was there, Donna Nelson, Frank Bramblett, Margo Margolish, Jude Talashay. I mean, it it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And another great town, great music, great culture. I know. So did you, um, what was your work like in grad school? What were you doing? So in grad school, that's where, that's where the major shift happened for me. So, you know, I've always been a figurative painter. um, And so I've spent my whole first year really struggling, really struggling and trying to figure out how to get outside of myself. And that was what was so great about the program and so great about Stanley in particular was like, he just pushed me completely out of my comfort zones until I could see my work from a a totally different vantage point. And, you know, you know, sometimes when I do talks with younger students, they always ask me about this and it's like, I can't, I really feel like, like the first year is like boot camp, like take everything away from you, everything that's right. familiar, everything that, you know, they break all the habits until I literally felt like I did, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and I've been making art, you know, for most of my life. And all of a sudden here I am, like, I don't even know how to paint. I don't even know. I don't know how to be an artist anymore. And, and it's this beautiful moment in which like, all of a sudden you take one step and everything changes. And for me, it was having to recognize that thing about my work that I consider periphery um, and realize that that's actually the work. And (laughs) I feel like they're all sitting there waiting for you to see it and you just aren't seeing it. And you keep trying to, to do this thing that you've always done. And for me, it was just kind of still approaching the canvas with this really traditional idea of figure ground. And, you know, the, the work in the studio, like the daily work where it was me drawing on little pieces of paper with ink and brush. And it was me just like looking at images and trying to create forms and, and then putting them aside very quickly. They were like these yeah. really direct, you know, deliberate single stroke kind of drawings. And then I would put them aside and pin them on the wall. And then I would try to struggle through some terrible painting. <laughs> and, um, and then finally, uh, you know, Margo was in my studio one day and she was just like, Amy, why don't you just paint the drawings? She was like, just paint the drawings. And I was like, oh my God, what are you talking about? Paint the drawings. And then I realized that 
she literally meant paint the drawings. And so in order for me to paint the drawings, I had to change everything about the way that I approached painting. So I, I made the drawings flat because I was using a very fluid, you know, drawing material. Yeah. So I stretched this big, like five foot canvas and I laid it on the floor and I just started drawing on it. Like I draw on the paper in this very kind of, you know, step-by-step -step kind of image after image, after image, after image. And, um, all of a sudden I feel like I made my first painting, which is like, was incredible. Right. It sometimes it takes that. It's funny. People can chip away at it. And you know, as a professor, like you will see, you know, that there's some things that students just have to work through to get, Yes. and you can try to like egg them into, you know, thinking about something differently or seeing it in a different way. And then once in a while, someone will just be like, you dummy, the paintings <laughs> should be the drawings or whatever. It's just you know, like they the just... work. Do you see your work? <laughs> right, right. I mean, we've all had that moment, I think, where someone comes in your studio. Like, you know, uh, one time a visiting artist came to my studio and was like, you know, your lines are really crappy. Do you want them to be like that or do you want them to be nice? And I was like, you know what I mean? It was just a light bulb moment. I was like, it took right. someone like sometimes visiting artists are good for that because they don't <laughs> exactly. care. They just come in and burn the place down and leave. Like they're exactly. not on the hook. Exactly. They come in and like you know, <laughs> ruin your life basically. <laughs> but it's good. I mean, you need that in a way. Right. I had a visiting artist come in my studio once and was like, you know, your paint is it's kind of like peanut butter. <laughs> I was like, oh my <laughs> God, a, it is like peanut butter. <laughs> is that a bad thing? <laughs> well, Sounds just nice. I, no, no. For some artists, they might want it to be like peanut. For me, what I was trying to do, peanut butter was not going to solve oh, not, my problem. Right, right. No. <laughs> you needed jelly. I, I needed it to be much smoother. And yes, I needed it to leave the brush willingly. <laughs> right. Not being like coerced into, like forced into the canvas. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, some fluidity. Yeah, the you know the iconography. I guess getting into you know your the work that you've you've been showing and doing. I mean, how much of that? I wonder. Like when I look at it before speaking with you, I wonder how much of that is informed by the past or like influence of things that you're interested in from the jump and how much of it is through working, you know what I mean? Through kind of like exploration of material and the actual work itself leads you to that point, you know, yeah. because unless you know someone's work from like decades, you don't really know necessarily how they got. I was curious as to where, yeah. what took you to that kind of iconography and the way that you make the work you do. And you work between genres, like you're working right. in different media. Well, that process oriented part of your question was really important to me because um, I wanted to find a way to let the, the painting kind of unfold in ways that I hadn't in the past. Uh, and it kind of felt like I was always trying to place the figure in some space of some kind instead of letting things kind of emerge. And so um, that was also part of the, once I kind of um, took this new structure of, of drawing on the canvas, what I call drawing on the canvas, um, and using this kind of grid structure, I got really interested in the idea of the storyboard, like a, like a filmmaker would use, because right. it's kind of like thinking out loud on paper. It's not a finished product. It's something that's in the making and that I was really uh, intrigued by that kind of way of working. So um, for me, I just wanted to not know what the painting was going to look like at the end. And so I would just start drawing on it, you know, like writing a letter in this very left to right, top to bottom 
kind of structure. And then um, afterwards I could go back in, I could paint certain images out and then I could kind of break that grid up again and kind of draw right. back on it and paint things out. And so uh, that's kind of how I approach everything that I do. Like all the little drawings, I still have that practice of all the time, the little drawings in the background are what are kind of building the images that are the forms that kind of end up in the paintings and in the sculpture. Um, and I want those things to feel really found. Uh, so yeah. with clay, you know, I use hand rolled slabs and then I use the knife kind of like I use the brush. I just want it to be also a very direct thing. Um, I just want to start cutting the shape so they feel they feel drawn uh you know does that make sense yeah you're drawing yeah. through like you know sculpt like through making that line where things yeah. are removed basically yeah yeah and then i just stand them up put them together and then start working the surfaces um and so even now and i think there's something about that kind of choosing to do clay choosing to use those fluid materials i think part of it too was i like to feel like i'm just slightly um, out of control with the mm -hmm. materials. I yeah. like, I like to feel like there's something at risk with either the way I'm drawing, because all the drawings that I make and the paintings, I don't ever sketch anything in. I don't ever draw it in and then fill it in. I'm, you know, it's like a one motion um, right. image making. So, and that's really important to me because I feel that's also a way for me to kind of uh, be very present in the, in the making. And then each image informs the next image. Uh, so it's always kind of unfolding in that way. This kind of stream of consciousness kind of way of making images. Yeah. So one could draw an analogy to kind of like music, how the, what do you imagine your work sounds like musically? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, you could take uh -huh. one one way you could take right. it is the aesthetic of your work and, oh, this sounds like Mozart or whatever. You know what I mean? And then yeah. the other could be the way that you build it or write the song, so to speak. Like, because you're, you're talking about this. I don't know how improvisational it is, but it's yeah. very direct. It's it not like, you know, it's one of those like, uh, you know, it's like a performance where something's cut the record in one take. It's mm -hmm. not about, you know, or right. like a film, like uh, Hitchcock's Rope, where it's like right. one one cut, you know what I mean? Or there's right. like one break or something. But it's very, right. it's about the immediacy of, right. of the act, basically. Right. No, I hear you. And I have no idea how to answer that question in terms of what it would sound like. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for the drawings, it is very much... Um, you know, if they don't work, they're garbage. Yeah. Um, and for paintings, because of the accumulative nature of the process of painting, they can continue to build on themselves right. in a way that the drawings don't. Um, so, and I think that's why I often think about the drawings like writing. Like when you sit down and write a letter to someone, which I think is just a beautiful activity. Yeah you write across the paper and if you screw something up, you put a line through it and then you write it above it or you write it around the corner. If you forget something, you draw an arrow and you say, you flip over the paper. I love, yeah. I just love that whole act, you know? And I, and I yeah. was thinking about that in terms of my paintings as well, because I, the way that I use edge 
the images are held within the edges of the paintings. Like things don't usually move to the edge to suggest some sort of, you know, outside, you know, illusion yeah. in the same it's, way. It's like, in. yeah, yeah. It's like, and, and that's why I started early on in grad school creating these uniform sized paintings. They were all five feet by six feet um, because I wanted them to kind of be just like, I'm pulling out a blank sheet of paper and I'm drawing on it or, a, right. you know, a notebook paper and I'm writing a letter on it and it's their uniform. And, um, but thinking about that too, it's like, it's all held within the paper in the same way you might write on a notebook or doodle on a notebook in class or something, which I really like. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it feels, um, it's, it's funny because thinking about that, when you were talking about drawing, it's almost like, you know, writing lyrics and then singing the lyrics. They're like two different things, right? So like when you're writing, you can like keep mapping it out and change things, but when you yeah. perform it, it's the song, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know if that's, I don't think it's a one-to-one -one relationship or, but it's just interesting to think about that kind of you know, the difference between drawing and painting and the, the stakes are different or the, the sort of process is different, but they lead you yeah. to a similar place in a way of just yeah. you know, the final feel of what you're going for. When you're working, do you listen to stuff or do, what's the environment like? Yes, sometimes. Um, sometimes music can distract me. It depends on the activity. Right. Um, I am somebody who really loves silence and I know there is no, you know, real silence, the ambient sounds of the neighborhood or the birds, or a lot of times I'll have my door propped open or my window open. Um, a lot of times I don't want to hear anything. And then if I'm like stretching canvases or, you know, knifing on gesso or something, I want to listen to something that's kind of, I love rhythmic music, but then, uh, you know, I might listen to ambient music if I'm painting. A lot of times I, I don't want to listen to something with a lot of lyrics. If I'm really in something that I'm trying to figure out, I just find yeah. it a little distracting. So it honestly depends on the day. And so like my husband, Pete Schulte, he's, he is a huge music fan and he listens to music all the time. And when I say all the time, it is all the time, except for, actually, he probably has it on in the classroom when he's teaching too, <laughs> but he loves to have music all the time. Sounds and, like uh, someone who I could get along with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so sometimes I'll have to, he'll, he'll say to me, if we're drawing in the studio at the same time, because we have a home studio, we'll draw together. He'll say, well, what do you want to listen to? And I'm like, I don't know, just something easy, you know, something like Sunday or something. <laughs> so he'll find something that. Metallica. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not that. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That's, that's tough, though. I feel like I love listening to music. But then whenever I go for silence these days, I feel like the tinnitus takes over anyways from all the years <laughs> of playing music. So I'd rather just listen, even if it's yeah. ambient. Yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so both both my brother and Pete make incredible playlists for me because I'm nice. always like, Give me, I need something to listen to. So my brother will make me really interesting. He always did this even when I was younger. So he was like, he was my big brother that introduced me to all the music, right? right. And um, when I went away to graduate school, he made me a bunch of like mixed tapes that I took with me that were just amazing. And he would just throw some of the strangest stuff together. Um and then Pete loves to make a playlist too. So it's like a, it's, it's like a, it's, it's 
he's building something like it, it's art to him and like just putting this playlist together and how it starts. And, you know, he always talks about how important it is to him. You know, I had albums put together. It's meant to oh, be yeah. listened from, you know, the first song to the last song, there is a reason for it. And so his playlists right. oftentimes do the same thing and they tell a kind of story. And he did, um, we have friends that are big music lovers in Knoxville too, and they'll trade playlists and, you know, he created pandemic playlists and, um, you know, it's, just, yeah, it's really fantastic to have people in your life that share that kind of thing with you. Definitely. I think people of our generation, cause I think we're pretty similar in age. Um, 72. I'm, I just turned 50. Oh, nice. September 11th. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm 74. So I'm, I'm close. Okay. Okay. But I feel like the mixtape phenomenon because it was like that it was like building yes. a vibe and it was so specific and it was the flow and it was even like where the first side ends and flipping it over oh, and i yes. think anyone who did that as a cultural sort of i don't know it was it was almost like there was a cred to it of like oh here's my mixtape yes well, you know, and it, it builds it, yes it builds my message to you builds right Right. And I think we have a relationship to music that is informed by that structure, no matter how Spotify things get. So I, I love building playlists on Spotify that are just, you know, whether it's a workout one or one for barbecuing or what I do yes. it for, for anything for a specific, I, I think it's just built into our generation. I don't know. If, I, I agree. I know other people like mixes or make mixes, but I think there was something about the mixtape that really meant something because it was like this trading thing that you did with people that exactly. was very exciting, you know, back yes. then. I also think like just growing up without cell phones. Yeah, I mean, was... being in graduate school without an iPhone, I think is one of the greatest things that ever happened. I know, happened. right? Productivity <laughs> up, because I would have, everyone yeah. would have been way, well, I don't but know. Also, I don't want to like sound too old, but. The sharing, the sharing yes. is just yeah, like. that's true. I am. I know that that I am a very private person to be, to begin with. Like, I don't, I don't like people watching me work. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just weird like that but um you know to have iphones everywhere documenting everything at all times i'm just yeah. glad i didn't have that experience what about <laughs> kids now too who are like in oh, God. high school who are you know everything's on display so it's yeah it's everything. tough although and you know i think there's something to be said i i don't want to sound like that person but i feel like it's harder to make big risks or to take chances when you feel like everyone's watching I like i totally was not agree. afraid to crap the bed in my studio in undergrad exactly because no one was look i mean i mean actually i guess you worried about your classmate you know you worried about the other art students and stuff but i don't know it just felt like in a different way yeah you were allowed to just you know like screw it i'll just like try something and you know, now it's like everyone, it's going to be seen and locked forever, basically. Mm -hmm. Or you feel like you're supposed to share it, you exactly. know, these new rules in a way, um, you know. Yeah, it's different. Although we had to, we had crap that we had to deal with that people don't have to anymore. So, oh, I, you know, course. I think it's all kind of <laughs> cyclical in some weird way. 
<laughs> no kidding. It's like everything's possible and it can all crush you at the same time. That's the balance of life. Oh, God. I think Is that's that what why, it works uh, about? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I think that's why, too. It's like I hate CGI. You know, the oh, films really? that. Yes. I have, um, have a really hard time with it visually. What's like the last thing that you saw in that realm that just you were like, no. Well, usually I don't watch stuff like that if I don't want to, to begin with, but I think it was the difference between like growing up Star Wars and then my kids growing up watching Lord of the Rings and stuff. And that I just, you know, it's just hard for me. There's just something so tactile about, you know, how Star Wars is built the old stuff, and how yeah. it feels um, compared to like, you know, Lord of the Although, Rings. Although I feel like if you take Star Wars as an example, I feel like they've came back towards the middle. Like yeah. there were, there's that point where every movie was just all CGI. And then yeah. like people were like, oh wait, maybe we should add a little bit of organic. like." Yes. And some of the Star Wars stuff is now done with that old Lucas style. Yeah, and then obviously there's some stuff that you just can't do, like the explosion or whatever craziness. Right. But right. I think it's getting a little better. Yeah, I think you. Anytime a new technology like that starts, it goes way all the way to the extreme. It, yep. And then we're like, all right, let's rein it back a little bit <laughs> with fashion, with anything. You know? Yeah, you're I mean? totally true. That's totally true. It's almost like you have to. It's like a kid will push you to the extreme. Like it'll go. You know. Whatever it is, you got to take it to its limit. And then you're like, okay, let's like prog rock got way out there. And it was like, okay, let's pull it back and just add little sprinkles of that stuff, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Have um, you seen so, the new Bowie film? I haven't. Is it I good? I loved it. I loved it. I I'm a massive it. Bowie fan. I love Bowie, but I admittedly am not like a connoisseur. Like I haven't listened the full arc i haven't like deep dived bowie which seems kind of crazy but i mean i i i've listened to him you know in certain songs i love mm-hmm. and i love the phenomenon of bowie i think he's yeah. amazing but yeah i'm not an expert in bowie you, um, you will love it anyway no it's i'm fascinating sure, I'm, yeah i love and stories of musicians like really i love it he was like my art hero like my, again, my, my brother, he introduced me to everything and man, he introduced me to Bowie. And it was like, it was like the ultimate artist. Yeah. I have that same, cause he's kind of Picasso like in that sense where he reinvented himself and it, wasn't afraid to just like, you know, no, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my, that person for me musically was like Miles Davis uh, because I just yeah. thought he was endlessly amazingly you know, diverse, like he would just nail something like cool jazz and then just go to hard bop and then he would just go to funk and he just yeah. kept pushing the envelope, you know, those are it's fun a, people to watch. Like yeah, they're, they're sure. over, you know, as an artist. For sure. But yeah. Always giving um, yourself a challenge. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, it's, it must, it's so, I don't know if you feel this way. It's so hard to make one breakthrough as an artist. You know what I mean? And then you see people who do it like 20 times in their lifetime. And you're like, oh my gosh, how can you, it's impressive. But even like the, the smallest shift can be like a major change in work too, you know? Definitely. 
introducing, you know, a new color or a new mark or a new scale or, you know. Completely. Yeah. Going from and painting to ceramics. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was going to say, because you do this different stuff and it just feels like in looking at your work and you've been, you know, able to, I believe, you know, show your work in a lot of different kinds of venues with institutional stuff. And I imagine that's exciting to be able to approach you know, these installations are like the, these shows in a different way. Like if yeah. you look at Bracket, like that space is so quirky. I know, isn't it? I love it. And it's, I do too. So, you know, that as opposed to a big open like museum space. Right. And those and shelves you, that were in there. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you could not ignore them. And what was so funny is I've, I've played with folded drawings for a long time. Oh, really? And in fact, that's how I came to the ceramics was um, just making these kind of folded sculptures in my studio on painted paper or whatever. And yeah. um, so when I saw those shelves, I was like, oh, I have to make folded drawings <laughs> to go all the way up the it's wall. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a quirky venue, you know, but it's, I, know. It's, I feel like your work, the diversity of the way that your work can be realized is I would imagine it's fun to work in spaces like that. For sure. And then how the work speaks to each other is also always really exciting. And, you know, seeing how the sculptures kind of pull the drawings into three dimensions and yeah. Yeah. And you can walk around it and yeah. So, and then looking in from the hallway through the glass at the space too, it was was really strange. Yeah. And there's like a hair salon across the way or something, whatever. (laughs) It just changes, you know, right. All the time. It's a really fun place to see see work, I think. Yeah. yeah um, sure. So, uh, so what have you been working on lately? You have things um, coming up. I do. Yeah. So um, I have a show up right now at the Hunter Museum of American Art, um, yeah. which will be up for a year. I've never, I've Whoa. never done a show that's up nice. for a year. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really. Um, yeah, go back and visit over time is is really cool. Um, and then next summer, I guess my next um, big project will be with the Birmingham Museum of Art. So, little um, home cooking. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, Rico Gatson has a show that just opened this past summer, and it's part of that same series. It's called Wall to Wall. Yeah. And so it'll be because I also make wall drawings, and those you know. I don't get to do that often, but there's sometimes a really unique opportunity to get to do that, which is really fun to do something that's temporary, that gets destroyed, um, that's site-specific. And so this will be a site-specific wall drawing, and then it will also be a vinyl. um, And I've never worked with vinyl before, so this is going to be exciting to do something digitally. And I think I'll be able to kind of explore this idea of, you know, like I was talking about with the storyboard kind of idea, this kind of crude animation that can maybe unfold along the wall and wrap the space. Nice. So yeah, I'm excited about that. So I'm just in the early stages of starting to kind of do some research and get some ideas for what I might want to want to do for that. So that's great. Yeah. And then I have what? a two person. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. You have a two person. Oh, at, U- at University of Tennessee with Katarina Reesing. Nice. She shows with Etsy Geisberg um, and she's got a Tennessee history and I have a Tennessee history. And so we're going to do a two person show together. We've never met, but I'm a fan of her work and we've known each other through social media. So that's going to be cool to see our work in conversation. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Do you now, do you still, are you traveling a lot? Are you spending some time in like Tennessee? Have you gone back? 
I haven't, um, will be for this show. Um, I'll go and give a talk and um, meet with students and see the show. And then we'll probably just be there for like a week, but um, no travel coming. Oh, so what am I talking about? Savannah, Georgia. There you go. <laughs> so <laughs> Pete and I have a curatorial project uh, called the Fuel and Lumber Company. And so right. we curate shows. And so we're going to have a show that's going to open a group show on November the 4th. Um, and then he has one downstairs with uh, Laney Contemporary in Savannah, Georgia. So nice. we will be there, I guess, about six days installing and being there for the opening. That's cool. So Savannah's got a good, a good uh, art sort of happening thing with SCAD, right? I would imagine yeah. it's a good population of artists. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and speaking of like music, have you spent time in Nashville? I have. I just thought of Music City because it's such a great art music combination. Memphis too. I mean, those are some of my favorite places to go. Yes. And that's the thing that's so great about this area too. It's like the art community is really like an entire region. It's like Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Atlanta, Athens. I mean, we have so many friends in all those areas and it's a real supportive community, which is really nice. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to, to hear i mean you know when i was doing the podcast at the beginning i was doing them all or not all but most like 98 percent in person so i think it limited it was usually a lot of new york people because they were around you know it's hard to catch people when they come in but since covid you know doing them all over over zoom i think it's important that people know that like you know you can work outside of like you know new york chicago la or exactly london you know people are carving out spaces and projects and doing stuff in provincial places and exactly it's you know it has its own challenges obviously there's only there's a certain audience and there's you know the the sort of fun whatever it is but you can make it work you know what i mean oh absolutely Absolutely. And I, you know, and that was the thing too, is when I moved back to Birmingham um, and this was after graduate school and I still wasn't you know, positive that I was going to be living here. Um, I was like, wow, I kept hearing about these amazing collectors in Birmingham and like, really? And then, you know, we had this great curator at the museum. And so it's all of a sudden I was like, wow, there's this whole other part of that I hadn't been around for because I've been gone for so long, but um I mean, really amazing people invested in art and community and the museum. And I found uh, a really great support system, um, friends that were, you know, a lot of them were like my parents' age, but were incredible people to hang out with and um, have into my studio and have people to talk to because all my friends were in New York or, you know, LA. So um, it, it, yeah, it was a really, it was a surprise. It was really great. Well, um, for 50 bucks a month, I'm moving down next month. <laughs> well, it's not 50 anymore. Oh. Yeah, the Birmingham has changed Inflation. so much, so <laughs> yeah. much. Yeah. And it's exciting to see it growing like it is, uh, you know. Right. It's, it's, it's cool. And is there, what's the music scene like there now? Is there stuff going on? Well, yeah. And, um, you know, music venue, I don't know if you ever heard of Bottle Tree. But one of my closest friends from first grade, Marilee Chalice, another great artist who went away and she lived in Europe. And then we both ended up in graduate school in Philadelphia. She went to the Pennsylvania Academy. 
I was a second year when she was a first year, but we both ended up at grad school in Philly. And then both of us ended up moving back to Birmingham. Um, and she ended up opening this really great uh, music venue called Bottle Tree. And, nice. um, you know, it kind of put something on the map for Birmingham. So people didn't just travel on through like, right, right. <laughs> like you mentioned. That might've been more of our bad self-booking than anything else (laughs) (laughs) but they really wanted it to be artist friendly and they did an amazing job and artists would leave saying this is one of the best venues this is you know we were cared for in ways that most people ignore and these really great airstreams that were parked outside and you know they just really tried to take care of the people coming through and um you know, and then Brian Teasley, who man or Astro man, you know. Oh, wow. That I haven't thought of that band in a while. <laughs> so he lives in Birmingham. So the music I told you, I, I, the music venue that's right down the street, yeah. it's a Saturn. So that's you, uh, the new. You probably can hear it from where you are. <laughs> oh, I know. I can. I didn't know. God, if you I saw could them live the... once. Did it you? was so I've never heard so much reverb in my <laughs> life. It's so loud. God, that was a so, long time ago. Ooh. Uh, yeah they were good though there was yeah. no no one was like man or astro man no no it's a it's so unique and yeah. then we have avondale brewing which is right down the street too and it's become like a really big music venue in town too so a lot of bands are coming there i'm sure the food's good too because food everywhere now is like oh uh, we have one of the best food scenes around and you know, that's something no seriously <laughs> i don't know if you know a lot of people don't know this but we have a lot of James Beard nominated places and our our 2018 Frank Stitt won uh, best restaurant. And so that, that was after being nominated years and years and years and years. Plus it's pastry chef. Um, She was beard winner. Um, We've, I mean, it's, it's, we got great food. I think we might've convinced a few listeners. It might be an (laughs) influx. Sounds pretty good. And your space looks great behind you. Oh, thank you. That looks like a nice space even have storage i know my dad and i built that storage so nice. ourselves <laughs> pieced it together it's pretty great. I mean, built it exactly to my dimensions i've never had storage like that before so it's really exciting <laughs> oh i'm jealous <laughs> my storage is not that organized <laughs> oh my god i found that i spent way too much time looking for things and right. I, I figured this out too on my computer. I finally, I finally got so sick of looking for images a few years ago that I just dedicated myself to creating inventories and like organizing things like that so that I could find it when I right. needed it. Cause it's maddening. I know, and so I, know. I had just label stuff. I'm starting to get there in okay. certain aspects of my life. I've, I've made that my computer, my images, I take so many screen grabs. I can never really, but I'm getting there. It, it does feel good though when you could just go to it and you could yeah. figure out where it is. And yes, yeah, because when you start getting out. old, it's like time is precious, and you just got to be able to put your hands on stuff. <laughs> you don't want to be spending days sifting through JPEGs. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, that's the worst. That's true. Well, uh, thanks so much. I mean, it's been great talking and meeting and thanks so much for uh you know sharing your work and then also like birmingham so it's it's a very interesting path that you had it's really cool it is isn't it yeah sometimes it has its way with you yeah 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 well uh yeah thanks so much it was great meeting you you too thanks
Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to the website, soundofvisionpodcast.com. You can also get information on where to get Why I Make Art, the Sound of Vision podcast book, through that link. Many thanks to Amy for taking the time out to talk. Big thanks to Michael Lovett for the introduction. Make sure you go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It really helps spread the word about it. And if you did get the book, if you could leave a rating and review on Amazon or wherever you got the book, that also helps. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their long sponsorship of this podcast and keeping me very supplied in the studio, making the best art supplies you can get. You can get their stuff pretty much any art store. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters for sponsoring the podcast. Check out their stuff at fulcrumcoffee.com. I swear by it. It's great stuff. I do pour overs, Americanos, espresso of all kind. I mean, it's the coffee is really great. So if you're a coffee fan, check out Fulcrum. And many thanks to New York Studio School. Check out their five-day virtual painting marathons. You can check out those at nyss.org. You can apply through that link. Got some great people coming up, some really exciting artists. Some different people working in different mediums, which is cool. Very excited about that. People from all over the globe. So make sure you subscribe and keep the podcast links coming through. And most of all, thanks to you for listening.